Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the RPG Academy podcast. I am Michael, and I have brought along with me, as I most often do, my favorite co-host and yours, the Caleb G. Caleb, how are you doing tonight, sir? I don't know. I think I'm at about 70%. Out of how many percent? I believe the general accepted maximum is 100. Well, you know, we like to do things differently here. I I know we don't do math in the academy, but I I think 100 is pretty good. Yeah, (laughs) I had a couple days off at the beginning of the week because it was a type of holiday for me personally. Oh, okay. And uh, then I went back to work and it was chaos and... It was a short week, but it, it was rough. I spent all day today delivering sandwiches because we bought food for the entire department. Yeah, I saw on, on Twitter that you were going to do that. <laughs> yeah, I crammed my car full of 36 feet of sandwich <laughs> and drove it back to work and then cut it and served it. And it was crazy. Nice. And I have a huge to-do list and I barely touched it. And I'll be working this weekend to make up for that. And it's going to be a madhouse. So yeah, that was today. And then we went out to dinner. And then I got sick as soon as I came home. Oh, well, I, I appreciate you jumping on. This was completely last minute. I was, uh, I was supposed to go watch a movie with the family and I really didn't want to. So I kind of did the, <clears throat> you know, I'm not feeling well. And the wife's like, you know, you, you've been working really hard. Why don't you stay home? So then I'm like, well, I'm home alone. What do I want to do? Of course, I thought of Caleb. I thought, hey, let's record something. So what movie did the family go see? The Emoji Movie. Right. Yes. I'm not, you know, I'm all for kids movies. There's some of them out there I really enjoy, but I have heard nothing but bad things about that movie. And I just was not interested in, uh, in going. Yeah. Uh, you made the right choice, sir. I think so as well. So but your kids will probably love it. Yeah, probably. Cause my kids love fart jokes. Like they are absolutely at the age where the, the poop emoji. <laughs> Jacob wants to go to Halloween as the poop emoji. Like that's what he wants to go as. You know, I, I think this is one of those times as a father, you sit down and say, son, <laughs> you're an idiot. You are an idiot, yes. Uh, I love you, but you're dumb. <laughs> well, he loves superheroes too, so hopefully by then I'll be able to talk him into doing something else. But anyway, this is going to be Faculty Meeting Episode 117, Initiative. So we're going to talk about initiative and some of the various ways that RPGs use them, uh, what we think of them, maybe some pros and cons and highlights of them. I've actually just in the last few days, I've heard several other podcasts that I listen to have also touched on initiative. So it just sort of seemed apropos that we would. And I think all of us have been spurred by the recent Unearth Arcana Greyhawk initiative, which is kind of what has got us thinking about initiative. So that's what we're going to talk about here tonight. Let's point out that we actually record this episode before <laughs> everyone else jumped on the bandwagon we started. It just so happened that that episode is lost to the internet gremlins. Yes. The, so we did it first, kids. Deal with it. That's right. We did it before it was cool. Uh, so, yeah, so the audio issues that I've been having on stream, I did not know about those, obviously, when I was recording our regular show. So it was the same sort of thing where my audio was just going way up and way down constantly, and it was just awful. But, uh, but yes, this is a take two if you will, on our initiative. Let's learn a lesson from last time and kick off the show properly with that fun little thing that you normally say when we start our shows. 
So the reason that we gather for these faculty meeting episodes is so that Caleb and I can talk about role-playing games. And we hope that through these conversations that we can share some of the experience that we have gleaned from our many years of playing tabletop RPGs. But we understand that the advice we give and the opinions we share may not work at every table every time. But there is one piece of advice that we do feel is pretty universal. And Caleb, what is that one piece of advice? If you're having fun, you're doing it right. That is correct, sir. So no matter what game you play, the system or edition, what rules you use, don't use, or misuse, as long as you're having fun, you're doing it right. And with that out of the way, do we have any announcements? Uh, me personally, no, because I am too busy with real life to do much of anything fun and enjoyable Not that I don't enjoy my job. <laughs> Because for once in my life, I actually do enjoy my job, but it has been hell recently in a good way. I just don't have a lot of time. Uh, but let's keep in mind that it is August, September, October, November, three months. Three months. Wow. Three months, 90 short days, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> until oh, crap. It is. Will... Today's the 10th, right? Today's the 11th, oh, the 11th. Sir. Yes. Oh, my God. So, yeah, even closer. Yeah, three months we will be journeying to Dayton, Ohio, for the fifth annual, give or take a year or two. <laughs> I was wiggle room in there. I was against calling it fifth, but you know, it, it's better for the gimmick. Uh, fifth annual, a catacon. Absolutely. It's the best convention in November on that weekend in the Dayton Convention Center. Guaranteed. Nice wording. I'm impressed. <laughs> I was that practicing that. That flowed off your tongue beautifully. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, a catacon. Three months away, plenty of time. <laughs> Grab your tickets. Lots of cool people are going to be there and us. Yeah. Guess what, guys? I'll be at a catacon. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Maybe. I mean, I have the week off. I might as well do something that weekend. That's true, yeah. You know, you don't want to waste all of your time, so you should do something important, but you should also be there for that. You should do some laundry. Definitely do some laundry before you come also, please. Eh. <laughs> awesome. We've had like three or four patrons jump on just last few days to today. Uh, as far as I know, maybe be three by now. I don't know. Uh, but if anyone doesn't know, obviously we're a, we're a podcast, so we have a Patreon because that's just what you do these days. And um, we have a lofty goal. If we can get to $2,000 a month, which is a long way from where we're at. But if we can get there, I get to quit my job and do this full time. I know. Crazy, right? Uh, so we're a long way from that, but I'm hopeful that we might be able to make some progress. And we've obviously made progress just in the last couple of weeks. We've jumped uh, pretty substantially. Uh, so this is my quick pitch for money. Even $1 a month, you'll never notice it's gone. But if everyone who listens to our show regularly gave $1 a month, we would already be at the level where I could quit my job. Uh, we have well over 2,000 regular listeners every episode. So that's all it is. Now, obviously, not everyone's going to. I get that. Uh, but today, we had a $25 patron jump on. So that's 24 people that don't have to worry about it. Thanks, Alan, for covering that. Uh, but literally, $1 is all we need. If everybody could donate, that would be amazing. If not, I understand. This is a free podcast. Who wants to pay for that crap? But we also have Amazon links. So if you're going to shop at Amazon for anything, if you go to our site first, click our Amazon link, then whatever you buy, we get a small percentage. So especially as we get closer to the holidays and Christmas, you're going to do all your Christmas shopping on Amazon like my family does. Uh, please consider hitting us up there. 
Okay, so with that out of the way, uh, before we get into the show proper, uh, let's let people how, know how they can get a hold of us. You can find me on Twitter at the RPG Academy, and you can find my co-host Caleb at the Caleb G. So the show's email is the RPG Academy at gmail.com. That is correct. And then there's that website about our convention. We should probably mention that. Probably. It's uh, the Acaticon, or it's actually also now Acaticon because I finally bought that web domain. I got I got the guy down to a reasonable price and paid for it. Uh, so that's A-C-A-D-E-C-O-N. It's like Academy and Convention put together. It's a terrible name, but we're Poor man's toe. Poor man's toe. What does that even mean? We're not going down that big a bit. <laughs> All right. So, yes, uh, please visit the various websites about Acaticon if you have any questions. And you can also follow the links there to Eventbrite to buy tickets. So with all of that out of the way, we're ready to get into the show proper. We start with Gamers Lexicon. Caleb, how would you define initiative in terms of RPGs? <laughs> Initiative is basically a way to determine the order that things happen in a game when order matters. Okay. That seems to be a very short and concise... I'm, I'm just pre-summarizing because that's, that's my job. That, that, in fact, is your job. It's on my business card, guys. Summarizer. So, for me, initiative is that line that happens between the R, the P, and then the G. Because you don't really need a lot of rules. You don't need mechanics. You don't need dice to role play. We can talk to each other in character. You can interact with the environment. You can interact with NPCs. You can have a monologue. And none of that really matters who's going first until it matters who's going first. If you decide to try to stab someone in the face with a fork, we need to know, are they able to stop you from doing that before they get stabbed in the face? And that's where initiative comes in. And, and for me, there's a strong transition from the role play element to the game because you're you're literally stopping the game you're right in the middle of role play stop role playing everyone pick up their dice grab their character sheet look at whatever their number is and i'm talking about DD specifically here because there's other systems that handle it a little bit different which we'll get into and then you roll a die and you determine initiative order and then you sort of get back into the game so it's like a timeout between the r the p and the g which i am not a fan of in general but in a lot of games, it doesn't matter who goes first. So it's kind of something I think you just have to do. Yeah, this is part of the actual gaming mechanics side of an RPG. And me personally, I enjoy the mechanical aspect of a game as much as the role-playing part of it. So I am totally fine with embracing that. A lot of times people talk about getting the mechanics out of the way because they break the immersion of the game world. I get it. Sometimes role play is more important in certain scenes. Sometimes role play is the reason we get together to play a game, but we're playing a game. And there's a big part of me as a gamer that wants to play a game. And I like embracing that gaming part of it. So the mechanics the crunchy aspects of it, if, even if they are very rules light, very simple, I, I need that structure and I enjoy it. But in general, initiative is one of those immersion breaking game items or game terms. It's something that can be very messy. It can be difficult to deal with. And it's something that gets debated a lot 
as you said earlier, Michael, a lot of other shows just happen to be picking up this topic right now. I'm fairly certain in most forum threads, people argue a lot about initiative. It's tricky. It's messy. It's very dividing between people, but it is what it is. Okay. So with that, we'll move into our general assembly, which is our main topic, which surprisingly is initiative, where we're going to just talk about some of the various ways that other games handle this, what we like about them, maybe what we don't. Uh, we're also going to talk about Greyhawk Initiative. Again, that's the new Unearthed Arcana that came out fairly recently. It came out very recently when we recorded this the first time. But you mentioned that a lot of people debate how you can do initiative. Uh, and I think some of the newer games that have started to come out, the one that comes to mind first would be the all the Powered by Apocalypse games. They have specifically tried to do away with initiative. Like there isn't really initiative like we would understand it from D&D terms in Powered by the Apocalypse games. Everything is role play. And then eventually the players are going to trigger a move either because they say something like, I guess I'll hit this guy with the, my fork or they're not doing anything. And so the GM will then do almost like an intrusion and they'll do what, you know, hard move or soft move and say, well, the guy that you think about stabbing in the face with a fork, he's got his own fork and he's going to stab you instead. So there isn't a stopping point in that game or those types of games. You just go straight from role play into the action and then back out again. So I know I don't think you and I have played a whole lot of uh, Power by the Apocalypse. How do you feel about that? Like taking it away completely and just not having initiative. What are your thoughts on that? I'm not a fan. Okay. I think there's a couple different reasons, but the biggest reason is because I cut my gaming teeth in a very crunch-heavy, mechanically-focused D&D system. So my roots are in stop, roll initiative, keep going. That's where my DNA grew and developed. So it makes sense to me, and I'm okay with accepting that pause in the action to embrace mechanics. I know that a lot of people will go down the rabbit hole of mechanics. If you pay too much attention to mechanics, you can't role play. Or role playing doesn't mean the mechanics. Or they they look at it as as kind of two separate entities. And I'm always of the camp where I can look at mechanics and draw great role playing from it. I can start to role play and draw the mechanics from it. So I'm all about the mechanics. I love them, even in rules like games or in games where I ignore them or toss them out or change them. I, I'm fine with embracing that mechanical part of it. So, and plus it gives people structure. Not everyone is a skilled, confident role player. Not every GM is always on top of it to pay attention, to call for those moves when they're necessary. And sometimes you're just having an off day. You might be the best role player in the darn world, but if you just worked your ass off all week and you're tired, maybe you don't have as much energy to put into it as other nights. So maybe sometimes those mechanics can help get things going or motivate you or push things in the right direction. So I like a system that includes that. So Panda Death actually asked a question there that was very similar to what you're getting to. They asked, do you think the mechanics can help socially awkward people kind of get started with the role play? And I think yes, uh, to a point, obviously. 
But one of the things that I would say that I, I'm not a fan of those types of games is if you're in a mixed group. You know, if I'm playing with mm-hmm. a home game, it's a little bit different. But if I'm like at a convention, because I recently played in a game at a convention that had that same, it wasn't Powered by the Apocalypse, but it was basically the same sort of initiative that whoever talked got to go. And it became very clear very fast that there were a couple people at the table that were a lot more dominant. And there were a couple people that were a lot more sort of, you know, laid back. And the people that were laying back did not get to do hardly anything until we would like, oh, yeah, you haven't gone in like four rounds. How about you do something? You know, we had to specifically try to pull them in because the the GM wasn't. And the people who were, you know, really engaged and having fun just kept saying, well, I do this. And then I do that. And I do this and I do that. And if you if you have a mixed group where maybe people aren't comfortable around each other, you're not already friends, you don't already have those established norms, then it's going to be very easy for alpha players to dominate. And, you know, as someone who wants to encourage more people to start playing, I am concerned that that could be a problem to Panda Death's, you know, question. If we stop and have initiative and then we designate that, hey, Caleb goes, then Sarah goes, then Chester goes, and then Frank goes, you're going to have a little bit of time to formulate what you want to do. You can think about it, not just the tactics or the strategy behind what action you take, but, you know, if you're going to deliver a witty rejoinder, uh, if you want to try to show some emotion when you're like, okay, well, my character, you know, slowly draws their sword, there's regret in their eyes, but firm grip as they extend their blade and then I stab them in the face. So, yeah, it gives you a kind of a a starting and stopping point to have your little moment in, in the spotlight and then you can sort of, re- you know, recess back and let someone else take center stage. And I think for people who aren't as confident or who are new to the game or just socially awkward in general, I think that can be comfort. I absolutely agree. It can be very tricky to push yourself out of your comfort zone to get into role playing. And if you are in a con situation with people you're not comfortable with, it can be trickier. And if we're talking about keeping the immersion of the game and focusing on role play, I think it is less intrusive to take a second to roll initiative instead of letting some people steamroll the game and then a few minutes later saying hey wait a minute friend you haven't done anything in five turns that's more of an immersion break than quick pause roll dice draw cards play rock paper scissors great let's go so um in uh, new york tater jumped in talking about maybe just rolling initiative once at the beginning of the session so you just have your standard numbers. I could see that as a sort of workaround. I don't know that it really solves the problem in some ways, because obviously as the DM, I'm still going to have to fill in the monsters or the bad guys or the NPCs. And then especially in certain games, you may have a build that monopolizes on the ability to go first. And if you roll poorly that one time, and then you don't get to go early for the entire session, you know, that could be a bit of a downer. It's like, you know, I have all these feats and all these abilities and sneak attack if I go first. And because I rolled uh, terribly at the beginning of the session, I'm never going to get to do that this entire night. Because I, I did think about that as an option of just rolling initiative once. But I'm, I don't I'd probably have to do it because this is all theory. I'll probably have to do it a couple of times to see if I really liked it. Uh, but in theory, I'm concerned that there might be more negatives than positives. Well, let's take that as a nice natural transition point and break down some of the initiative options that are out there. Of course, we are not going to have an exhaustive list here. There are too many games to talk about. And the list that we're going to touch on here, uh, we actually generated from your input, loyal listeners. The first time we attempted this episode, 
you all stepped up and gave us a ton of suggestions, which we really, really appreciate. So we narrowed that list down. We broke them into categories of a couple different types of initiative. It's certainly nothing official, just something we came up with to try to stay organized. So we're going to go over a couple different games, a handful of different types of initiative. We'll talk about them. We're probably going to be wrong about a lot of this. Probably. Come to accept that. You know who we are. You know who you're listening to. Throw us a comment. Respond to us. For the couple people who are listening right now, give us some immediate feedback. Tell us how wrong we are in the moment. In some games, initiative is simply a flat comparison. You have numbers that define your initiative and you don't roll anything or you roll something pretty minimal and you just say which is better. A pretty simple example of that, uh, typically does initiative in descending order of speed. The hero or champion system typically uses a speed rating and then there is a chart that you look at to figure out who's going first here or there. I believe in the seventh edition of Call of Cthulhu, you just compare your decks and the best decks goes first. So sometimes it's just a static, no chance, you're better at this than that person is, so you get to act first. One of the comments we got that I really kind of liked was for a game called Mistborn, which I haven't heard of or haven't played before. But what you do is you, you go around the table and you declare your action based on a combination of, I think this was the lowest to highest wisdom plus perception. So this was kind of representing if you were better at being wise and perceptive, so you had a higher number, that means you went last, that means you have more time to observe what everyone else is doing. So a low number means you're just reacting. A high number means you're pausing and observing the battlefield. Then you take a second round, you declare actions, and then you roll dice based on the speed of your action. So potentially someone who, quote, went last to declare an action could maybe go first, representing someone who paused, made a sound tactical decision, and then acted quickly. So I think that's kind of a nice adaptation. There's some good mechanics to it, but there's also a, a nice little bit of verisimilitude to represent the, quote, reality of this fantasy game we're playing. Yeah, I think I think there was another game that had a very similar process, but it was, it was worded differently, so I don't think I put the connections together right away. Uh, so that, like you said, essentially, if you were better, quote-unquote, better initiative, you would be able to determine your action based on the most information so, like, other people had to declare their actions first. Like, on my turn, I'm going to run and jump over the wall. On my turn, I'm going to shoot the wizard. On my turn, I'm going to pull my sword. So now that I know that, I will say what I'm going to do. But then when we actually engage in the game, I go before you. So I've determined my action last with the most information, but then I get to go first in the game and have a chance to do what I want to do before you. I think that is a very cool game mechanic. I worry about how slow that would be at the table. As someone who's not a huge fan of combat anyway, that seems like a slog to go through every single time, particularly as the GM, if I have multiple combatants, I have you know four or five bad guys or groups of bad guys, I have to declare what they're going to do where in a I'm gonna get quote unquote traditional game like D&D, &D, I can just 
this is where the board is now. This is what I think they would do. So yeah, so the reality of it, not as high, but there's a scale between gamification and role play. And for me, that's a little too high on the gamification chart. It would have to be the right type of game with the right type of players. I don't know anything about this game. I don't know if it supports more of a tactical combat focus thing. Maybe that's why the initiative works the way it does. I don't think it would fit a typical D&D game we play here on the Academy. I don't think it would fit every situation, but in the right situation, it could be very nice. Yeah, if you're a tactically minded player, then that sounds like the type of thing that you you might enjoy. Uh, obviously, there's there's levels to everything, but that seems to be sort of the opposite of the type of player I am. So I wouldn't enjoy it. So the someone who's not me probably would, uh, perhaps more, anyways. So you were talking about you, you kind of talked about where you just compare numbers. So what are your thoughts on that? So you have a situation where you you have a speed number, you have a dex number, you have an initiative number. It's based off of the build of your character. And, you know, it can maybe it changes during levels or maybe there's a way that you can modify it, whatever. But for the most part, your number is your number. And you just go based on that number compared to other people's numbers. You're, you're completely removing the randomness of it. Is that a positive for you, a negative? Like, if you play those types of games, what do you think about that type of system? I like it because it's streamlined. I don't like it because there is no randomness and no way to adapt situationally what is happening in the game. I, I think a random dice roll, like is typically used in D&D, can be at least interesting and it can force some tactical choices or character choices and role play choices. It might not be the most real thing, but it's functional. I mean, I think it works. It's, it's certainly more simple than the one before where you have the reverse order and de declaration, all that stuff. But I don't know that I'm a big fan of that either, partially because I do like a little bit of randomness. I think that adds a little bit element to the game like where you have a plan but then you can't enact your plan because of initiative and you have to adjust. And there's a, there's for me, there's fun in that going, okay, this is what I wanted to do, but I can't do it. Now what's my second best option and trying to work through that. So that's like where I get tactical enjoyment from the game is just basically going, okay, this is what I have. What can I do with it? And what's the best cho best choice, but I'm not sure that I like the D 20 as the initiative die, just because it, it's such a large spectrum and it's such a, it's a linear free-for-all that you can have crazy results where someone who does put effort time and energy into their character to try to be someone who goes fast can get screwed really easy on a d20 you know i have plus eight but i roll a one and you have plus two but you're rolling 18 i know that's going to happen some but i kind of feel like i would prefer a game that doesn't necessarily use the d20 to make that role. I think uh, Fantasy Age, which I've just recently started getting into, everything is based on 3D6. So you're much more likely to roll average results most of the time. So if you have a higher dexterity, it's going to mean more in the long run because every of the, all those plus ones, twos, and threes actually have a lot more weight than in a D&D. Well, since we're talking about D&D here, let's talk about some other games that use a randomly adjusted stat. That's how I made this type, this general de definition here. So you have a stat 
that defines your initiative, and then there's a random element that you add to it or you modify it. So D&D is an easy example. In the 3.5 era, you had initiative, which was typically based on your dexterity, and you added a whole bunch of numbers, and then you rolled a d20. In 5th edition, it's really just your dex mod plus a d20 roll. Uh, That's simple. There's a lot of other games that do very similar things. Cold Steel Wardens, which you've heard us play on this show, you roll an agility test. The old Star Wars D6 game, you rolled Perception, and you rolled your side and the bad guy's side, and whichever side got the highest, that entire side went first, and then the other side went. So a little different way to play that. The current Star Wars made by Fantasy Flight. I was going to say Final Fantasy. I knew that was wrong. (laughs) Fantasy Flight. uh, You're rolling either Vigilance or Cool, and you... The choice of what you roll is based on the situation. I believe it's if you're planning versus if you're just reacting. Yeah, if you kind of know something's coming, like you're in a standoff and you're talking and things are getting hostile and you go into initiative, I believe that's vigilance. If, or I probably have those backwards. It's one or the other. And then if it's like an ambush or complete surprise, then it's the other one. Uh, But this system adds a nice feature that where you basically create slots for your side and their side and you have the ability to change the order of who goes into what slot as opposed to D&D where it's typically all right Michael goes first then it's Jason then it's Sally and then it's Caleb at least to my understanding and I haven't really played a full version of this game you kind of create all right there's four good guy slots well, Michael, do you want to go first so you can set us up and then have Sally jump in? Oh, wait a minute. Jason has better combat. Let him go first so he can create an advantage and yep. blah, 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 blah. That, that is absolutely correct. Everyone rolls, but all you're doing is creating the order of good guy versus bad guy slots. The the actual, if I roll a three and you roll a four, it doesn't matter if the bad guy has a two. It's it's good guy, good guy, bad guy, good guy type of situation. Uh, cool. A cipher system does something similar to that where you roll your speed and you're rolling it against the level of the monster. And if you beat that number, then you go before the monster. If you fail that number, you go after, but they're still interchangeable. So you could have three people that go before they can choose what order they go in each turn. Then the monster goes and then everyone else goes. And again, you can change the order every round if you would like. Uh, One of my favorite games of all times, Shadow Run falls into this category. You have a reaction stat, and you roll your d6s for the number of successes. You add that together, and then basically this sets up initiative passes. Everyone goes in the order of initiative, and then you all subtract a certain number, usually 10. And if you still have initiative left, second initiative pass, and you get more actions. So... The faster you are and the lucky you are with those successes, you possibly get two or three actions in a single turn, possibly beating out other players or other bad guys to give yourself different options in combat. So back in my college days when I was designing my own system, uh, I know we've touched on it a couple of times, Arcane Realms. Uh, I think I still have those files somewhere. I did a perpetual initiative, which is very similar to that, except instead of going down, it just went up in perpetuity. 
So like we, I use weapon speed. So if I went on a five, I would go on five, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, all the way up until the battle is over. If someone had an eight, they'd go on eight, 16, 24, and 32. So you just would basically just keep going in forever until the battle is over. The problem is if it goes more than five or six rounds, you need a calculator to figure out when, when you're going next. Uh, but the idea was that if you had, you know, were faster, had a, a smaller weapon that was, that was quicker, you would be able to, you know, you eventually you'd get in more attacks. You might get three to two or four to three situation, depending on what was going on. And I still like the idea of that. I think it was too unwieldy. So Shadowrun seems to be a little, a little bit more simple because you, you have a finite number because you're going to get, eventually get to zero and have to start over rather than just going on forever, which also doesn't take into account changes in the battlefield type of a thing. I like that idea. I think we should remember that when we have a different conversation that we had the first time we recorded this that we're not going to have this time. <laughs> exactly. If that makes sense, then you're in our minds. So let's touch on feng shui because it also does something similar to that. Kind of. Uh, I, I think feng shui falls into what I consider a resource category of initiative, but it is kind of similar to what you just mentioned. With feng shui, you roll your initiative and then it becomes a resource and you essentially subtract out what you are doing and you move down the initiative track. Now, I've only played feng shui once. I don't really remember how it worked. <laughs> yeah. I've read the book couple times i've played it once i think i've played it more recently than you but you're absolutely correct you have it's called they're called shots you roll your initiative maybe i have a 20 and i want to do a thing this turn that's sort of low powered i might spend two of those shots and now i have 18 left the next round i might want to do something more powerful and might take five shots and now i'm down to 13 and you just keep going until you get to zero so it's certainly possible that if you're doing a lot of little things, you may go two, three, four times compared to someone else who does two big things. And the kicker there is that you set your token. In most games, you have an actual initiative track and you have a little token that has your character picture on it. You set it at the number you roll and then the GM moves it down as you declare those shots and then says, okay, we're at initiative 20. There's two people on this line. You take your actions. 19, no one's there. 18, only one person's there. You act. 17, 16, 15, three people are here. Everybody acts. And, and you keep moving it down until everyone is off the board or at zero. That can lead to some craziness when three people end up at the same shot. And then it's kind of, uh, well, what makes the most sense cinematically? Because feng shui is a very cinematic game. And it kind of works because it mimics that movie action. That's why they call it shots. At least that's how I've always understood it. I would not want to do that in a and d game, but D&D is a very different game tonally than Feng Shui. Yes. Uh, one of the other games I wanted to mention that I really like in this kind of randomly adjusted stat category, someone mentioned this the first time around. It's called Arcanus or Arcanus. Again, I've never played it but it uses a clock kind of, and it's very similar to what we're just talking about in feng shui. So it's a nice comparison here. You roll your initiative and you as a, uh, as a player, you have a clock on your character sheet and you kind of set the time based on what you rolled. And then you declare an action 
And that tells you where you move the hand of the clock to, how fast that action is or how much resource it takes up. And then the GM has a master clock. And the GM says, okay, we're at, I don't know if it goes down or goes up. I don't really know how this works. But basically the GM says, all right, we're at number one. Whoever's at number one goes. Yeah, I'm at number two. Whoever's at number two goes. I would assume the clock would start at 12 and go around like a regular clock, but I don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, functionally, that not that basically the same as feng shui? Like, it's the, the, the semantics are a little bit different, but it's essentially the same thing, right? It seems identical to me, but I can't believe that it's the same thing. There must be something we don't know because we didn't do any research. <laughs> research is for fools and smart people. And not happening at 10 o'clock on a Friday night. Right. So... so there may be a difference. I kind of hope there is. I mean, uh, but hey, the way us. we're describing them in case we're wrong, which is certainly possible, they sound the same. Yeah. So I'm going to throw a curveball here because I actually, I had an idea for a, like a different initiative. I want to, I want to get, oh, your, boy. yeah, I want to get your take on this. I hate it. <laughs> you will. So let's say that your character has an initiative resource. And that is something that you have based off of your character class, your build, whatever. It's a static number. Maybe it changes again at levels, whatever. But let's say I have 12, you have eight. When you get into a confrontation, it's sort of like a, a risk reward type thing where you bet the amount of initiative you want to spend to ensure that you go first. And it's almost like a countdown where does anybody want to spend 12? Because if you spend 12, you're going to go first, but then you're out of initiative. So it's kind of like shots, but there's a little bit of gambling mechanic too, because you do you wait it's almost like a like an auction like 12 going once 12 11 and you want to get in before the orc goes because you want to stab the orc in the face before the orc stabs you in the face but you don't know when the orc's going to go so you decide okay i'm going to go on five because then i'll get to go again but then the orc goes on six and then you get stabbed in the face so would you like i mean and that's just one version but it's where it's a resource that you spend and how you spend it could be used to do better or worse comparatively to everyone else in the battle. I don't hate it. Yay! I want to explore it more because at first glance, I like it, but I feel like it needs more investigation and development. Oh, sure, yeah. This was like in but the car, like, hey, this is an idea. It feels like something that could work very well as long as the other mechanics of this hypothetical game supported a similar mindset. I don't think if you added that to D&D, it would work. But if you had another type of game where other mechanics were some sort of risk-reward payoff, then it could have a good functionality. So maybe something like if you're going to swing your sword, for example, you have 20 attack points, and you go, okay, I'll spend eight of them. You miss. Crap. Well, I got... 12 left next time i'll spend 10 you hit new round you get back to 20 you know now that 10 hits maybe 15 is like a critical so there's like each round you have these points that you spend uh, i don't know i don't spend a lot of time on it because i just made that up and i want to get onto stuff that's real but again it's just it's like one of those in the car i have an idea let me explore that moment there's something there absolutely there is something there there are plenty of games that use initiative as a resource to do things uh we'll touch on one or two of those in a second 
I think including a gambling component could be very intriguing. Um, let, let's shift gears a sure. minute, though. Let's talk about some that are just truly random. We talked about rolling a die to affect a stat, and we just threw out this idea where you're just randomly gambling. Let's look at some games where you actually just randomly decide who goes first. I think the best example of this is Savage Worlds and or Deadlands, where you deal cards. Yes, which I really like. I think that's a fun system. Now, there are a few minor tweaks because you can have an edge that like lets you draw multiple cards and then choose which one you want. But it's very limited. There's only a couple of those. But for the most part, whatever you draw is what you get. And I love that because it supports the genre of the game. Now, Savage Worlds is a kind of genre agnostic system. You can play sci-fi, cyberpunk, steampunk, future, past, whatever. Uh, but it, when we say when we say Savage Worlds, I immediately think of Deadlands, that setting. Yeah. And Deadlands, you're playing cowboys. Cowboys play cards. It makes sense. It's a tactile thing at the table that can draw you into the game. Something we've touched on many, many times is that sometimes it's tough to keep everyone engaged in the game. There's so many things distracting us nowadays, and it's right. just getting worse as technology evolves. So something that can physically be, I need to pay attention to this card being dealt to me and look at it so that I know what's going on keeps people in the moment. Well, and then you and, also, you compare to each other. You're like, okay, I have a five, you have a six, I know I'll go after you. And you start to sort of formulate what you think you're going to do. I know I played in a game at Origins. It was a Transformers game, but it was based on Savage Worlds. And I was one of two characters that had a combo that we, if we went on the same initiative, we could do a certain thing. And so we kept trying to look to see, would we be able to do this? It, it happened a lot where the bad guy would go in between us and either one of us had to hold our action to get down so that we were on the same one or we just didn't do it. But that was an element that kept me engaged the entire time. I'm always like, okay, where am I at? Where are you at? What's going on? Uh, so I do really like that. Also like how easy it is to just turn your card sideways if you're like holding so that people know to skip you or to come back to you. Uh, yeah, I really, I do like that. The motion of getting the cards, touching it, feeling it. I, I think that's a positive. We got a couple suggestions of uh, initiative where you just draw things out of a bag. There is a game called Troika, where you all throw your tokens into a bag, and the GM just draws randomly, and you act as your tile is drawn out. What I think is interesting here is that in some situations, and again, reading into this, I may be having this totally wrong, but let's say you're a character who is built for speed. You've got five tokens. Everyone else has two tokens. So there's more of a chance of you getting drawn first. Maybe a variation of this is you get different number of tokens based on the type of action you're doing. So if we go back to include that concept where a, a dagger is faster than a sword or a battle axe, a dagger might get four tokens to the battle axe's one token. So you can see how it goes. It can be a little bit chaotic. Um, someone also mentioned Fate of the Norns Ragnarok, where you draw tiles out of a bag, fitting again that concept in Norse mythology of casting runes out of a bag. But as you draw those tiles out, you create a turn order. So the GM says, just draws them out. 
All right, the first one I draw is John. You go first. Oh, here's a monster. Here's another monster. Then it's Michael. It's Sarah. It's Sam. There's two more monsters. And then that becomes the initiative track, the initiative order for that round or that entire combat, however they choose to draw. That that's kind of interesting. I again, I don't think I would want to do that in a different game, but in a sort of Vikings set sort of game, I can see that you know the gods of fate, you know the casting of the stones, and that's just the way the gods have determined it will be. That could be kind of cool. Yeah, I like it. Let's say that maybe in this imaginative game, you when you bet for initiative, maybe you're buying the number of draws out of a bag. Ooh. I don't know. I'm just saying things right now. Yeah. So, and that that could be something where, again, I, I don't want to try to have a brainstorm here, but maybe you you spend so much to go into the bag, and if you have left over, that can do something for you. Maybe you can spend what's left over for plus ones or extra damage. So that's that's the risk versus reward. Is do I put all my tokens in so I know I'm going to go first? I'm going to get multiple turns before you, or do I go just enough to think I'll go before you and save up this for a big attack? Food for thought. Moving on. Uh, another category of initiative is something simply based on the type of action you choose to take. I think the best example of this is Shadow of the Demon Lord. Initiative is preset. You have a fast turn in which the PCs take their fast turn, and then the NPCs take their fast turn. And then you have a slow turn where the PCs take their slow turn and the NPCs take their slow turn and then you end the round. So you start the round, you just declare what you're doing. I'm taking my fast turn. Great. So is the monster. Well, I'm going to take my slow turn. Okay, you got to wait. You don't roll. It's not random, but it is tactical. It does give you an opportunity to think a little bit. And you again, you can interchange who goes because if we're all going to go fast – we can decide who goes first among us to set something up or get into position or you know strategize let's you know get the 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 mage in between us or whatever though the only thing cuz i do love that and we've talked about before how we love it the only thing is i'm not a huge fan of slow and fast maybe it's just cuz i played a lot of D&D i think i would prefer if it was like half turn full turn because it somewhat seems, I don't know, just something about slow and fast, it doesn't feel right to me for some reason, but but it works great, and I like how it works. Another version of this is the Doctor Who role-playing game. This was suggested to us again, and I recently bought all of these books in a humble bundle. Oh. Humble bundle, and I always say that wrong. Uh, so I, I, I didn't read them yet, but <laughs> I, read, I read the initiative part to make sure I understood it. Uh, basically, there's a certain order you choose based on the type of action you're taking. So if you're talking, you go first. If you're moving, you go next. If you're doing something, you go third. And if you're fighting, you go fourth. So each turn, the players and the NPCs declare what type of action they are doing, and then it goes in this order. I guess the one ring role-playing game uses either the same mechanical system or the same concept. I like that specifically because it matches the genre of Doctor Who, where the focus is on talking, interacting, thinking before you fight. 
Yeah. So stabbing in the face with a fork is the last thing, though. I would have to understand. I would have to think that there's some sort of mechanic that goes with talking thing, because like I should be able to say "ha ha" when I stab you in the face with a fork. So there must be something about a talking action that has the ability to do something. Like you know, I'm sure there's a mechanical thing. It's not just simply choosing to talking character. Oh yeah, I'm sure that talking in this sense involves checks such as diplomacy or intimidation uh, if we consider the D&D mechanics. Think of an episode of Doctor Who. The doctor stands there talking at you and then you leave the room because he talked at you so well. I'm okay with that. I know what you're going to say and I hate you for it. I have never once watched even a minute of a Doctor Who episode. I'm done. I hate this show. I'm quitting. Let me flip the table. <laughs> Sorry. I have my nerdum, but the Doctor Who is not one of them. Well, take my word for it. That's what happens. Okay. Uh, oh, damn it. Uh, there, was, there was a thing about Doctor Who. I forget it now. It, it's, it was a meme. I think Craig Ferguson did a song about it on his show. It's basically that Doctor Who as a genre focuses on being clever and using your wits as opposed to brute force. So the emphasis is always on talking and understanding. The majority of most shows, while there's action and running, there's very little punching. And in fact, when the Doctor gets angry and punches someone, bad things happen. So <laughs> that's, that's very, very bad. Very bad. Um, very bad. Very, very bad. Um, Fate also, to get back on topic, uses this type of thing. In Fate Accelerated, anyway, if you take a, um, a physical action, whoever has the best quick stat would go first. Let's say you're taking a more mental action, whoever has the better careful stat would go first. So you're still rolling, you're still looking at numbers in those sense, you're still comparing things, but it, it's a different choice based on the action that is occurring, which is why I included it in this category. So again, and going back to fate, if anyone is not familiar, you roll four dice that have either blanks, minuses, or pluses, and it's going to statistically hit zero most of the time. You know, like a zero is the most likely result, ones are next, less likely than twos and threes and fours. So most of the time, if you have a higher number, you are going to go first. There is some variance, but it is pretty negligible. Uh, well, fate is much more about small numbers and your role-playing choices. Yep. Uh, speaking of role-playing choices, there are a couple games where your initiative is simply based on narration. We talked about one of these at the start of the show in Powered by Apocalypse games. You're not really rolling. You're not really defining anything. You're simply role-playing the scene, and the GM tells you when mechanics happen. I like the concept, but I feel like there is a lot of risk here because there's much more responsibility put on the GM, and if that GM is not prepared to react quickly enough, it just boils down to people talking to each other and role-playing instead of playing a game. And as we talked about, that's fine. You don't have to play a game when you're role-playing. But it's not my favorite thing. Powered by the Apocalypse is super trendy right now for a lot of different reasons that I don't agree with. But <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, again, I, I think in, in theory, I kind of like that idea. In practice, a couple times I've played, it hasn't gone as smoothly as it should. Like, it reads, like, awesome. It plays 
less so. But again, maybe I've not played with someone who's just really, really good at that game yet. Yeah, Powered by the Apocalypse, I think, benefits more from experience than other games do. With other games, let's say D&D. If you've played D&D for years, you know the mechanics very well, and you can then push those mechanics to the background to focus on role-playing. With Powered by the Apocalypse, at least my impression of it, is you need much more experience in role-playing and shared narration and the give and take of shared storytelling. It's much more of a, how do we cooperatively do this so that I can recognize when the mechanics need to exist? So it's the same thing, but it's a different shift. It's a different focus. Another game that uses this concept, uh, something we're a big fan of here at the Academy, is Wushu. Wushu! I love Wushu more than anything, and uh, game-wise, anyway. And Wushu is pretty much just, who wants to go first? Great, go. Who wants to go next? Great. Has everyone gone yet? Oh, you didn't go? Go. <laughs> it's great. It's, it's wonderful. Well, and the reason that works is because when you take your action, the game also takes its action. Yeah. It's almost like a, like a card game where the bad guy goes in between each turn or something. Because when I roll to proceed, to progress the scene, I'm also rolling to see if I'm affected. So you don't have to worry about interjecting as the DM the bad guys or, you know, attacks, you're doing that yourself when you roll. So it does not matter who goes or when you go, as long as you go, everything stays balanced. So I think that's, it's just a brilliant way to run that type of game. So yeah, I'm a big fan. The last game that I wanted to mention here is called Planet Mercury. Never played it. It was mentioned to us in that first rush of comments on this. And this is kind of like what you touched on earlier, Michael, Literally just the first player to physically say what he or she is doing does it. In the right context, sure, but this is a hugely dangerous situation of two people dominating the game. Yeah, I think if you have a group of players who are all bought in to the narrative and everyone just sort of goes like, no, this is Sarah's scene. Let's let Sarah do her thing here okay, now we need to get involved next time. And now it's Travis's scene or whatever. I think it could work. But if you have people who are not quite bought into that or they don't quite understand it or they're just like, I want to do this cool thing. I'm here to play a game. I think it could get a little hectic and unwieldy. Wieldly? Yeah, wieldy. Yeah, one of those words. Well, like many things we talk about here, we say that the right choice is based on who's at your table and who's playing. In the right contact with the right players, that could be great. If you all understand how to tell a story together, if you've all worked together really well, you know how to play off each other, totally fine. But let's say you're at a con and you're playing with five random strangers and they don't know each other, they don't know how to work together, and one person just says, hey, I'm going to do this. Oh, I'm going to run over here. Oh, 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 oh. And, and no one gets to jump in or no one feels comfortable jumping in. That's going to be a lousy game for those people. So one of the things I wanted to mention, because I actually wanted to mention this earlier than I forgot, uh, so that, that deals with that type of game and then also powered by the apocalypse, that if you have people who are bought in and they know what they're doing, you can often draw other people into your turn. Uh, mm. so, so like if you're playing Power by the Apocalypse, you, you can, ex as you're narrating, you can say, I, you know, I grab Caleb and throw him fastball special at the Colossus. So now I've, I've basically made you go. 
And, you know, again, if everyone understands the game and the mechanics and how it works, that's one way to sort of um, offset that I'm shy and I don't really want to speak up, that you can, as the more dominant player, push other people into the spotlight. I like that idea, mostly because you mentioned a fastball special, and the fastball special is always the right choice. (laughs) That's a really good point about how to overcome the inherent problem of Powered by the Apocalypse and other narration-focused games. But again, it requires a lot of presence in the moment of those players and a lot of skill of those players to, in the moment, react and assess who's at the table with them. And it's very easy for that to not happen especially in a con game with a bunch of strangers. You might not know the type of boundaries you're, you can push. I, as a player, might say, yeah, I see this person not participating. I want to encourage them to participate. And that person may hate that. And that yeah. may ruin the entire convention for them if I try to bring them in and tell them what their player, what their player character is doing. That could be a table flip moment. Time for everybody to take a drink because I'm going to mention everybody's favorite word, session zero. I'm not going to take a drink. That's, I refuse. that's where you uh, you set those expectations. If you don't, you know, if you're at a con, you still can set those expectations at the beginning and let people know this is a heavy narrative game. Initiative works like this. So it's totally cool to pull people in. If you don't want to be pulled in, you need to let people know so that they don't do that. So... Again, session zero, setting table expectations uh, of ultimate importance. Absolutely. So we've been going now for over an hour, and we haven't even got to Greyhawk Initiative, which is supposedly what started this. So how much have we got left before we can get to that? Well, let's wrap up one quick thing here, two quick things. We touched on this a moment ago. Well, (laughs) not a moment, 30 moments. (laughs) Some games use initiative as a resource. Uh, I think my favorite example of this is the Orpheus Protocol, run by friend of the show, Rob Stiff. And you can hear that used every Monday in the Orpheus Protocol podcast. You're welcome, Rob. (laughs) Basically, in this game, it's kind of a version of feng shui. You roll your initiative, and as you take actions, you subtract. You you basically spend initiative to do things. It's a little bit less like feng shui because you're not moving down that track by shots. It's just you generate a resource to do things. And if you're out of resource, you can't do anything else. Another version of this, in my mind, is the exalted system, which you can also hear. Uh, proud RPG Academy Network member, Swallows of the South, Woo-hoo. Quinn Wilson. You're welcome, Quinn. Where this is super complicated, super complex. It's a messy, messy, messy system, and I will not do it justice. Uh, when you roll your initiative to join you don't even roll initiative. It's called join combat. And then you do another role and then you do other things based on that role. Your initiative, so to speak, is a pool like health points and they go up and down in each round of combat based on what you do. I can do an attack to reduce or eliminate your initiative or I can do an attack to steal initiative from you so that in the next turn, I stole all your initiative. I have an initiative 40. I can do everything. Well, and that's even how you win combats is by taking all their initiative away, right? Yeah. Isn't, isn't that actually almost like their stamina sort of thing? It's like if they lose initiative, they're out. 
Yeah, there's something in the game called initiative crash. If you basically knock them out of initiative so far, then you start actually doing damage to them. I'm probably explaining that totally wrong. Go talk to Quinn, he'll do it right. Uh, but it's an example. It's an example of initiative being a thing that you use in combat instead of just who goes first. There's a lot of homebrew versions of initiative to wrap things up. In all these comments we got, so many people just said, I do this, it's so easy. Great. Yeah, just go, like, go around the table. You left sure. right, all the way around, and then I go as the DM with all my guys, and then start yeah. over. Uh, some people use in D&D 5th edition, and 4th edition had it too, because they're the same game, uh, the concept of passive perception. That's a thing. Uh, that's not something that's rolled. That kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier, just a flat comparison. Uh, a lot of people use popcorn initiative, where at the end of your turn, you say who goes next. And it can be another player, it can be an NPC or a villain, as long as everyone gets a chance to go. There's some fun tactics there. If you say all the good guys go first, and the bad guy's not dead, all the bad guys get to go. Twice. Because <laughs> they all go, and then they get to pick themselves again. Right. Now, that you can have some really fun role-playing moments there, because you can simply say, all right, great, I take my turn. Uh, Mike, you're going next. Cool. Or you can say like, all right, uh, I power up my spells, I strike out my fireball, the orc takes a hit full in the face, leaving him fully open for Redgar the warrior to swing his sword and attack. Go, Redgar, go! In the roleplay moment, I've now taken my action and told you who's going next. Right. It's a nice, immersive... And that's where you're blending the P, the, the R, the P, and the G in together a little bit. They're not so separate. You know, you're still deciding who goes next, but you're not just saying, okay, Bob, you're up. It's narrative and hopefully role play in the same time. A little bit. Uh, so let's touch on Greyhawk Initiative real quick. Yes, because that's what you know, was the impetus for this. And now we're going to wrap it up really quick. Yeah. So we had mentioned that in like 3.5, 4th edition, 5th edition of D&D, &D, you roll a d20, you add your dexterity modifier to that. You could possibly have a feat that would adjust it. And then that's your number. Higher numbers go first. That is not how D&D &D always did initiative. It's, it's gone through a few permeations uh, from the earliest that I can recall. And again, this is from memory because we don't do research here. Uh, it was like one side or the other. You roll a D6 and that would determine who goes first. But then you had things like weapon speed. So like my side may go first, but I may go on four and you may go on eight because you're using a battle axe. I'm using a dagger. Greyhawk initiative is somewhat of a throwback to that type of element where there was a lot more randomization and what you chose to do had a very high impact on when you went. So I believe you actually did a little bit of research and you read over the Greyhawk initiative. So why don't you explain how that works? So I'm just going to preface this here. I don't like Greyhawk Initiative. It is an optional uh, concept. It is a subsystem of D&D 5th edition. It is not one I will ever use. It's a five-page document to explain who goes first and who goes second. It's messy as hell. I had to read it a dozen times before it made sense. Maybe I'm an idiot. I don't know. Let's just... Ugh, ugh, ugh. Um, it, it messes with everything we know about D&D. &D. It, it's, it's valid within its own walls. I think a lot of people could like it. Initiative runs from low to high. You no longer roll a D20. You roll a variety of die based on what you're doing. So you declare your action once, and then you roll your die, 
and then it happens lowest to highest. You don't get to change your action if the situation changes what's going on. Um, the dice you roll ba are based on what you do. So you roll a d4 if you're making a ranged attack, you roll a d6 if you're moving, swapping gear, or doing anything else. d6 is the general catch-all. You roll a d8 if you're doing a melee attack, you roll a d10 if you're casting a spell. So you can see how those actions are kind of organized by what should be slow and what should be longer conceptually, logically, sure, I can grab an arrow and throw it faster than a mage can sling a spell, faster than a warrior can swing his battle axe. What I don't like about it, and a lot of things I don't like about it, if you want to take multiple actions in your turn, you roll multiple dice. So let's say you say, I want to run across the battlefield and then attack with my sword. So you're going to roll a d6 and a d8. Let's say you all you want to do is I draw my sword and attack the guy in front of me. You roll a d6, but if that guy goes before you and he runs away, you now cannot take that movement action because you didn't roll the movement die. So if you tactically want to include multiple actions in your turn, you're rolling more dice, which means you're probably going later, but you have more options. If you roll less dice, you're going sooner statistically, but you may waste your action because you can't do it anymore. Right. Things that cause initiative bonuses or penalties simply change the dice size. So something that would give you an initiative bonus simply makes your die smaller. Initiative penalty makes the die bigger. Um, there's a lot of other things that go into it. We've been talking for an hour and a quarter. We don't need a <laughs> document here to you. It's messy. It's crazy. I, I think the biggest issue with it is since it's such a drastic change, it's something that you would have to take a few minutes to explain to people, and it would absolutely halt combat if you had to explain it in the moment or got confused in the moment. It's definitely game mechanical thing. There is no role-playing in it whatsoever. You can always draw role-playing out of it, but this is mechanics. This is crunch. You have to accept that tactical part of it. By closing comment, in the examples of how this works, broken down by rounds of play with multiple players, they included in the document players hating it and complaining the whole time. <laughs> yeah, the general consensus online has been not very positive. A couple things I would say. One, because I've heard this on forums and message boards and Twitter and stuff. Some people not understanding why a ranged attack is a D4 compared to a melee attack or melee attack. To me, that makes total sense. If you realize that when you attack with a, a like a sword, the idea is that you are going back and forth and you got parries and, and reposes and then you finally land an attack that, that hits. You're only firing one arrow. You're not actually firing five arrows and one of them might hit. Though I would probably rule that if you're in, like if I'm in doing a bow, but you're engaged with me, I would make you roll the melee die or you would get attacked as like an attack of opportunity because you're not paying attention. So that makes sense to me. I kind of like this in theory. I'm sure that in practice I would hate it because I, I want simplicity anyways, and I'm not really a big fan of, of combat to begin with. But I like the idea. It's the risk versus reward. There's a little bit of a gambling mechanic here where, okay, 
I'm going to, I want to go first because I want to hit the mage before the mage can cast fireball. So I need to do the thing that lets me go first. It makes me go fastest, even though that may not be the best option. It's the best option in that exact moment because I need to go before the mage. So I'm just going to use my bow. I'm going to roll a d4. The mage is going to cast a spell, but they could still roll a one. So you still have that variance, that sort of random chance where it's like, son of a gun. When that goes against you, it's going to suck. But when it works, when you're like, okay, I'm going to shoot a bow, run across the field, and then stab someone in the face. I roll three die, and I get three ones. That's going to be awesome. And I, I like the idea because from, from a tactic standpoint, I am not the type of person that's going to do a four-move chessboard. You do this, then you do this, then I do this, and then that guy will be here so that that person then can do the thing. That is not what I'm good at. What I'm good at is looking at the board going, in this moment, this is what I should do. And that's all that is. So I think from that, from that standpoint, I could have fun with it, but I think it's too slow, too many problems, and it doesn't add enough for what it takes away, which is the speed of play. Roll a d20, high numbers go first. We're, we're through initiative. We can get to the combat quickly so we can get on to the role playing. Uh, Greyhawk Initiative completely changes the action economy of D&D 5th Edition. And action economy is one of those hot-button topics that is constantly talked about in every edition of the game. I haven't played Greyhawk Initiative at all, so my opinion is simply from reading it. I think it ruins the action economy. Your bonus actions are penalties now. Because if you want to use a bonus action, you have to roll an extra die. Unless the wording of the ability says it's not an actual action. I think that takes away from a lot of 5e builds where you want to get those bonus actions. Well, and the idea of a bonus action in narrative sense is that you're so in tune or swift or fast that when something happens that triggers your ability to do a bonus, you get to do it. That is the completely opposite of saying, I'm going to choose to do a bonus action this turn. Yeah. And it's adding in a lot of mechanics instead of just letting the narration happen, letting your abilities kick in when they kick in. And I just don't like it. The only 5e I'm running is wrought iron, and I'm not using this. So Well, we rarely roll initiative anyways. That's true. Awesome. All right. So it's uh, hour 20 in, and I just heard the, the wife and the kids just got in from the movie, so I'm going to have to wrap up soon anyways. We didn't know we were going to do this, so we did not pick a new student introduction, so we're just going to skip that anyways. We're going to go ahead and go straight into the end of the show. We haven't thanked our patrons in a while, and the only problem is I'm afraid I will forget some of them. So um, let me actually, I'll just pull that up. I don't think we have any new reviews to read. We actually have not had a new review in quite a while, which makes me sad. Um, obviously, if anyone out there is listening, if you've not yet rated our show, on iTunes or Stitcher Radio, we would appreciate it. We're at 103 reviews on iTunes with a five-star rating, which is fantastic. Uh, but it's not as fantastic as 104 reviews with um, a five-star rating. All podcasts ask for reviews because it's free, and it's just a cool thing. It, it makes us feel better, guys. We don't just talk into the void for nothing. We, we like a little bit of interaction, and seeing those five stars makes us happy. We know that all podcasts ask for this because it's simple, it's easy, you're already in the app to do it. I know it's a pain in the butt, but just 
if you do it, we're going to stop asking. So <laughs> no, but let's, let's use the PBS model here. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So I, I'm probably going to repeat some of these because I'm going to go back far enough to make sure that I cover everybody. But we have had several new people join Patreon very recently, which is awesome. I want to thank you guys for that so much. Again, if we get to $2,000, that would be amazing. If we get to $300, that's amazing. So, you know, it's, it's all small steps. Anything that you can do can, to help means a lot to us. But some of our recent patrons, we have Justin Coster, Mallory Hoffman, Matthew, not even going to try to pronounce that last name, Matthew, sorry, Jay Kimberling, David Johnson, Miko Mikola, which he sent me a really nice email. I believe he is in Finland, and he has a friend who makes ridiculously complicated architectural buildings for their games, and they're awesome but crazy. Uh, James Introcasso, friend of the show from Tabletop Babble, he joined us as a patron. Uh, Jared, Alan J. Nichols, and then Larry Hot. Both of those guys were actually just today joined. So thank you to everyone. Sorry it's been so long since we've said thank you, but uh, sometimes these are sporadic recordings. Thank you for everybody who was watching. We had up, upwards of eight people at one time, and I don't think that counts Periscope. A couple of people were interacting on chat. That makes me very happy. And uh, once we want to keep doing this more often so we can just do live events. So, yeah, so if you like this, let us know. Obviously, this will be an audio format at some point in time with all the stuff cut out and it'll sound so much better but uh any last words caleb before we uh close up shop here tonight let me roll initiative to see if i have anything to say nope okay so this has been michael and this is caleb and we will see you next time Thanks for listening to the rpg academy podcast the flagship program of the rpg academy network if you enjoy what we do here, then please check out therpgacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the Drive-Thru RPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google Plus at The RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, The Caleb G, at The Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at The RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.